You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mama told me son, go and play in the yard. Papa said go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to Inside the Yard, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold and Jeff, we have yet another huge guest today, Orioles assistant GM, Sigma Dell, uh, such a big part of this front office and what the Orioles are trying to do here, moving this franchise uh, forward on and off the field. Yeah, Sigma Dell is a, is a really interesting guy. He's worked with Mike Elias for a long time. He's got so much knowledge of, of so many different things, and you're seeing how he's helping the organization in multiple areas from the major league side to the minor league side to the draft, which is obviously still a really big time for the Orioles. And it was a, a really fun conversation. And I thought it was especially interesting when, when you asked him, how do you watch a baseball game? Because somebody like that, uh, it, that, that, was a, that was a really intriguing question. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation because I felt like he got to, he got to learn a couple of things. Uh, we asked him about some of the, the key stats as well that, you know, if you're a baseball fan, what, what should you should be looking at? And I, it, was, it was a fun conversation to have with, uh, with Sig. And, and hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Yeah, it's one of those conversations where you can go on and on and on, and you can do it in a way where you're not necessarily talking about these the, the names and, and the, these new numbers, and, and so, it's so hard to interpret and, and to gain all that knowledge, but you can do it more of a conceptual way. What are they looking at? How are they interpreting? You know, how, how, what's the process of interpreting it? And how's the game going to evolve? Where, you know, where is it going to evolve? There's so much to it, and obviously our time was somewhat limited, but Sig's you know, obviously very busy, and uh, but it, it was so enjoyable. So let's get to it. I'm very curious to hear uh, what our podcast audience thinks. But Orioles assistant GM Sigma Dell. And joining us right now, one of the top executives in the Orioles front office, Sigma Dell, who is completing his second full season with the Baltimore Orioles. Sig, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Happy to be here, Brett. Well, let's start with just what you're analyzing this year in a bizarre situation. We've obviously gone over that many times over, but uh, as you guys start piecing together the off season and next season, what will be the way you kind of interpret a shortened season? Yeah, this is the first time we've been through this. Like so much of uh, what we rely on, on the models is, is a uh, statistics generated from the season. So it's a big blow to all of us to uh, be missing out on not only our minor leagues, but all of baseball's minor leagues. Uh, but this has been no surprise. It didn't just happen yesterday. And so uh, we've been adjusting and recreating some models given this uh, shortage of info. As you try and kind of go through some of this information and piece it together and, and how it's going to go into to next year, I mean, do you kind of have a sense as to what you're, you're going to be doing with it and how it's going to be affecting your preparations for, for 2021 yet? Have you kind of figured that part out? Yeah, I think, Jeff, this is nothing that we haven't been through before, right? Like, we're missing some data, and that's, that's too bad. But so is everybody else. Everybody else is in the same boat. And 
and and so it's we still have the same tools you know maybe we wish we had the date you know some more data but uh it's not too different than than any other off season really Sig, so much I know of last year was spent just kind of creating this department within the organization and doing it your way and Mike's way and, you know, putting the right people around you, creating the technology. And and year two of that, pandemic aside almost, was that needle moved significantly this past offseason, even during the months of quarantine and then into this baseball season where you feel right now, year two, that this department with the Orioles is in good shape? Yeah, it definitely is. Uh... I always think of the off season as the time that you really gain ground. Uh, you don't have these bothersome games intruding on your work day and your work evenings. Uh, so we had in many ways, it was a really long off season and the group of people we have are very skilled. And so it was a very progressive nine months off season. Sig, how have you used some of your models and tech to help out the alternate site? Because those players that you have down there, some of them are guys that you could use and have used at the major league level, but also a number of them are younger players that are getting critical development time in in hopes that they'll be in Baltimore sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a great question. And so much of that is answered if you were, to, if you were able to go down there and take a look at what's going on and talk to the coaches. Matt Blood, our director of player development, has done a great job in bringing in what I call modern coaches. So coaches that have the experience, they have the people skills, but they also have an interest and an open mind in whatever other data or tech could be put to use. And so they're really our customers. They're the ones uh, knocking down the door asking, for this or that and and we try to just provide it to them and and get out of the way and let them do their magic sig between mike as general manager you as assistant gm and all the other departments and apparatuses between the minor leagues development major leagues amateur scouting whatever it is what is the interaction between these departments and kind of the continuity of the organization yeah, Mike's created a wonderful culture, right? It's it's much less hierarchical than I think many other organizations, and it's it's really amassing as many skilled and experienced people we can, and putting them not in the same room anymore, but maybe in the same Zoom call, and getting their ideas and try to synthesize uh, the collective expertise there, along with whatever nudgings might come from from some data or from some tech output too. Sig, when you're looking to hire somebody that is gonna be working in the same department as you, what kind of things do you look for in that person? Yeah, I'm much better at that now than perhaps I was a decade ago. So one thing certainly is you have to have a passion for baseball, that often these developers or these analysts, their skills are the most in-demand skills on this planet. And it's, it's a shame if we get them here and then a year or two later, they've gone elsewhere and, and just the, the cost of that change is, is expensive. So ideally, we have somebody who's in baseball because of their passion and they're in it for the long haul. And that's often difficult to find, right? If you bring up the idea like, hey, you want to work in baseball, most everybody says, yeah, that'd be cool. 
fast forward a year or two of the long hours that not quite maximum pay of all industries. And, and it's, it's often a, a different feeling at that point. So that definitely is mandatory. And thankfully it's baseball. There's such a fascination with this. We get the better part of a thousand resumes every time there's an opening. And so we could choose some really skilled persons. And so in this world, it's often, you know, computer science background, analytics background, and it's nice. Like we, I mean, it's, it's not so nice in that you have close to a thousand resumes you need to go through, but it's nice in that you have a lot of skilled people applying. So I'm curious, you know, this year, I think we saw maybe the Rays try a few more extra man outfields. And certainly in general this year, maybe the infield was playing in earlier in games. Do, can you see some of those evolutions a year or two ahead that someone somewhere is thinking that might be an idea, that might be an idea? Or do, do you see it sometimes and it catches you by surprise? And take us through the evolution of some of these ideas, these concepts that are out there. Yeah, I mean there's probably about 400 analysts in baseball. And so the first team to do something that if you fast forward half a decade is now conventional is not necessarily going to be the Baltimore Orioles. We're, we're doing our best to uh, be the first ones to find this or that. So we're always taking a look at what other clubs are doing. And, and one of them is certainly Tampa Bay and the creativity they have with defensive positioning. It certainly creates a lot of uh, projects, a lot of additions to the to-do list. Like, oh my gosh, like, it, have we done the math on this? Is this fifth outfielder or fifth infielder down the line uh, a little bit better than what we've been doing? And so for sure, we're looking at what other teams are doing, not only with positioning, but as you've mentioned, the in-game strategy, the bringing the infield in early, all that sort of stuff. When you try something for a first time, like the five-man infield like they did in Toronto in extra innings when you had a kind of a, a situation where we need to find a way to cut this run off and you see it put in motion and it ends up working does that get you excited like how how cool is it to watch maybe an idea that you have implemented into a game and then it works yeah there's nothing more exciting about this I'm passionate about baseball this is an exciting job for me and that we have decision makers who are open to this and not only open are willing to put it to use like it gets your pulse rate going and and although right uh if it's a good idea it's still not going to work all the time but there's something exciting when it does work and it does resonate with the decision maker who's maybe trusting you a little bit and to get the early successes it only helps when you're asking for something else a little bit later but no, I mean, I'm like it's a playoff game or something when we when we do something unusual, hoping we get a good result from what we had confidence was a good decision. How, how much, and I don't, I don't even know if I'm asking this question correctly, how much data do you have to interpret? Like if, if we were to go through the office files of Sigma Dell's house, is it boxes and boxes of paper? I mean, like how much cloud space do you need and, and how much hard drive space do you need to look through every player, minor leaguer, prospect, whatever, and every concept and, and thought? Yeah, our lead developer, D is one that's much 
you know, can answer that a lot better than I, but in the TrackMan era, like it grew exponentially, the amount of information. And now with Hawkeye and the StatCast and continuous player tracking, uh, it's an amount of information that you start looking at, at third parties and cloud storage as a more feasible way of storing it all than internal servers. So it's growing and it's growing exponentially and I bet that's not gonna stop. If I'm a baseball fan and I'm maybe a little bit newer to trying to understand analytics and some of the advanced metrics, what's one or two that I should be really paying attention to, which is going to indicate this person's a really good baseball player? Yeah, I think historically, like for, for a couple centuries, uh, we often have focused on the batting average. And when that was created, that wasn't bad. There were very few extra base hits the walks were rare and this was a great way of measuring a player's offensive contribution but the game has changed the amount of walks the lack of singles the importance of power and it's just not the most useful statistic anymore but it is still the most cited statistic and ops is making its way into mainstream and that is just such a wonderful correlate to the player's offensive contribution if you want to answer the question which of these players is contributing the most at the plate sorting by OPS is is not a bad way of doing it and similarly uh, some of the xFIP or the FIP numbers are not bad for pitchers where they uh, try to lessen or even out some of the luck of batted balls and also some of the luck of a string of batted balls that the runners circle the bases and your ERA goes up. Those are real runs, so that's not good. But perhaps if you want to measure the pitcher's skill, there's something a little bit better than that. Sig, as we uh, interpret the game and as it evolves, is it, is it always changing? In, in other words, if in 10 years from now, hopefully we're having the same conversation in, in so many ways, and we'll be talking about something new and another new concept, or at some point, does it kind of level off because there's only so much you can create. No, I think it's, it's always changing. We're in a terribly competitive environment. So all the coaches have no shortage of ideas and all these ideas relate to a change in baseball that could give us an imagined small advantage. And as more and more things are being measured, and I think as more and more things are being revealed that were previously invisible, it has to lead to changes and of course as the game itself changes there's reactions and adjustments to that so i'm hopeful it's it's never going to stop changing sig last one for me in terms of execs that you've worked with you know you've talked about some of the ones that have had a, a big influence on your career but in terms of coaches and managers that you worked with who's who's had a lasting impact on the way that you go about your business and has made you better at what you do now it's a good question. I think, right, like I'm, I'm not the GM. And so whatever changes that we're trying to implement by the fact that it's a change, it is likely to make those with decision-making responsibilities, whether it's a coach or a scout or a scouting director, it's going to make them somewhere between healthily skeptical to very uncomfortable. 
and so without support from the ownership on down, it's really hard to implement much of that. And I've been fortunate with my times in St. Louis and Houston that the support we've had from above has enabled the the insights, whether they're small or big, from from the groups that I've always been involved with to be put into action and and if there is a gain to be realized that that's what enables the game. Say the last one for me. Um, how do you how do you watch games? I mean, you, you kind of joked about it earlier, but are you analyzing in an in-depth way? Can you kind of have it on the background while doing other work or, you know, eating a meal? Are you competitive with it? How do you watch a baseball game when the Orioles are playing him? Yeah, that's funny. I've been asked that a few times. It's probably not too different than you when you're when you're not announcing the game. It's not too different than you. I'm I'm rooting for the Orioles to win for those for those uh, batted balls to fall in, for us to get out of the inning and, and all that. Well, Sigma Dell, Orioles assistant GM, we really appreciate it. Uh, that was really interesting. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Time now for our insider segment. And joining us is our Masson colleague, Orioles Hall of Famer. And we just passed the anniversary date of September the 20th, in, 19, in 2002, Mike Bornick played in 102 consecutive games without making an error at shortstop. That is a major league record. Not an Orioles record, not an international league record, not an Eastern league record, a major league record. And the last time I checked, they've had a shortstop position for a long time. So, Mike, 18 years later, congratulations on that. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I couldn't well, have done it without a lot of great first basemen, that's for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, you couldn't have done it without me and Jeff. That would be really weird because, you know, you didn't know us then we weren't playing. But, um, all right, let, let's get to this Orioles team. And looking forward to the offseason, I think you can be pretty confident about your starting rotation heading into next spring training for the first time in a long time. I mean, it will be Means, Cobb, it will be uh Aiken and Kramer and Lopez in the mix and, and maybe Zimmerman I'm sure they'll add somebody and there'll be another rookie or two knocking on the door but I mean you have to feel pretty good about that group moving forward absolutely I, and I love the way they're finishing you know ever since uh you know Aiken got slotted into the rotation and and Kramer's arrival I, I think they've been nothing but impressive you know I, I think the ability to challenge with their fastball has really been the most impressive thing to me, um, unbelievable composure, which I think everybody be, hopefully will be tested uh, next year with fans uh, to see, you know, how they respond in that situation. But these young guys have, have just, uh, they've earned it, to be honest with you. And I think that's what this season was really all about, the opportunity to showcase yourself, uh, see if you can kind of belong here, see if there are tools to work with. And every one of them, I think, has adjusted uh, to this season, they continue to work hard and try to grow with Doug Brokell, uh, Holmes, uh, Holt down there. It seems like they're all on the same page. So, it, yeah, I would say right now you could you could slot the uh, five man rotation in, and, and then some, which I think depth is critical. So expect them to go out and try to land a couple free agents as well. John Means was having a pretty tough season, and then these last three outings for him have been great. He was excellent yesterday, sets a new career high for strikeouts. I think that there may be a lot of pitchers that, given how things started, they could have just 
mailed it in to the very end and just called it a, a lost season. But what has John Means showed you for the way that he's gone about his business over these last three outings after he and Brandon Hyde, what Means described as a tough talk? Yeah, pretty impressive, really. You know, I think something we can all kind of look back on is really how John Means got his opportunity in the big league was big leagues was really about his character, right? His, his work ethic, his, his desire, his want to try to get better and better. And he did that. And he proved himself in really a limited window showcase when he came up and really burst onto the scene, uh, striking out the side of the Yankees with the nasty changeup. And, and I guess the rest is history, but you know, he embodies what I think, big league baseball is all about the ability to persevere when the chips are down find a way to work through it and he did that this year in such an impressive way because you know it's one thing to have a you know an ailing shoulder and re respond that to that I think athletes are used to it but you know the loss of his father is another thing then you're dealing with the personal side of the game how do you mentally separate the two which is nearly impossible I'm sure he takes him with the mound every time every time he steps on there uh, you know so uh, it's a tough thing and he certainly has found a way to his credit manage through this with the help obviously of Brandon Hyde I'm sure he leans on a lot of people he's that kind of guy he's open enough and, and willing to talk things through uh, to help him kind of stabilize and get right back on the right track just an unbelievable pro at how he's handled himself all right Bordy, let's get to what the fans really want to hear and that's our fun five questions you just say the first thing that comes to mind on these fun five baseball questions okay first one what is your favorite baseball movie that would be uh that would be uh i was gonna say <laughs> caddyshack but it's <laughs> You know, the uh, Durham, uh, yeah, uh, the Durham Bulls. What is that? What's the Durham Bulls? Come on. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah, there it is. What was your? Is this live? Oh my God. <laughs> what was your uh, batting average senior year of high school? All the way back in uh, 1980 something. Yeah, I remember because they did keep statistics back then, and I think it was 583. Wow. No, I really don't know. I Come can't on, boy. remember. Are you kidding me? I, I can only say that because who the heck would know? Just say it. Who would ever look to find out? I'm just saying, 583. How about that? Okay. Oh, do you have that number in front no, of you? No, I don't. <laughs> we should get it. What was the name of your high school? I'll call. Hamden Academy, baby. Hamden Academy. Uh, who's the most influential baseball person in your life? My dad. Did you have Dude. any superstitions when you played? Millions. I, I, and I would say that it ended up – everything was more habitual. I don't know that it was superstitious, but, you know, I had a spot on the field I had to hit every day. Um, you know, there were a lot of kind of things that happened. If I ate a certain meal and got hits, oh, boy, you know I'd be that the same thing the next day whether it be putting on my uniform the same way, the timing. I had such a routine, I think, in the game that, uh, yeah, I had that. I was surrounded by it, and I, I appreciated it and looked forward to <laughs> riding some good waves of superstitions for sure. 
What was your favorite minor league city to play in? You could have been a part of that team or just a visitor. Wow. I would uh, – hmm. you know what? I, Tacoma, Washington, I played AAA there. And I probably had a couple of the worst years of my life offensively. Uh, it was such a miserable place to play because it was always raining. The grass was thick. Anyway, but it was beautiful and an unbelievable part of the country that it's like you wake up on a postcard every day. It's just incredibly uh, breathtaking scenery. So yeah, out there it was just, it was beautiful. And a bonus question. If I work my tail off all off season, do I have any potential to turn a double play with you by next spring? <laughs> uh, I would say that I will never underestimate the power of work but, but I no, you had no chance, man. <laughs> seventh hey, I got question. a lot of se seventh question here. How many times <laughs> did he screw up this double play demo? How many times? I was good. I was good on camera. He was. He was good. You know that still that synchronizing the clap and that step is the is crucial to that timing and the rhythm. And you, you just, like everybody, needs to work on that consistency. That's it. Forty, tell Jeff about my natural slide piece action. Okay, so Jeff, so Brett has a natural slide piece that he uh, throws when playing catch. And I couldn't believe it when he threw. I, he was like, hey, let's have a game catch. Hey, all right, great. First pitch was nasty. It looked like <laughs> Fulmer's slider he was throwing the other day. Um, I guess I would say probably 70 miles an hour slower, but it had that same kind of rotation. So I asked him about it. I said, do you always throw a slider? And so, so we looked at the grip for, so he had a four seam grip. He just, he could uh, get behind the baseball. He was always on the side of it. So yeah, he's got a natural Mariano Rivera type slider. Well, it's going to be really fun on a random day in November when I show up at the Bordic residence, banging on the door with a ball and a glove. Let's play catch. Let's play catch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what see this is something you can do at home too brett so <laughs> practice throwing that four seamer right off your garage wall for a while okay oh, i'm coming over Bordy. you can't stop me <laughs> well mike yeah, we really appreciate I, I it it's been a fun season uh we'll catch up soon and thank you so much for doing this oh absolutely anytime yeah it has been a lot of fun thank you so much That was Mike Bordick. Before that, Sigma Dell and Jeff, I am going to spend the offseason working on my double play turn. I'm going to shock the world when I show up to Sarasota and Mike Bordick and you, for that matter, on my steps around the bag at second. You're going to say, is that, is that Andrew Velasquez or is that Brett Hollander? I just can't figure it out between the two. So that's well, here, my uh, goal for well, the here, offseason. Here's the thing. The clap, is, as Bordy talked about, and if you don't know what we're referring to, Go to Masson and watch the video, and Bordy explains everything to Brett and how to properly turn a double play. But how are you going to be able to turn a double play well when you're, you're throwing and it's a slider, when you're throwing a slider to your first baseman? I mean, come on, man. Like, you, you can't do that. You got to get, the, get, the, get the grip down the right way. So I think that's the first thing you need to work on and then work on the footwork. I just have natural movement, Jeff. I, it was a gift. I, I can't help that. I don't know why my – it actually is a pretty straight ball, if you ask me. I don't know why. It goes right to Bordick's glove every time I throw it. Uh, on the Sigma Dell front, listen, I know for a lot of our listeners and for people in general, these are 
somewhat sensitive topics in the sense that you, to me, where it's always been, you don't have to trash and not, and Sig doesn't do this and Michael Elias doesn't do this, the human element, because it's obvious. I mean, in the end, we're talking about people playing a very difficult game in a hyper-competitive environment, okay? Uh, you don't have to amputate that side of it. You don't need to demean the old numbers. I mean, actually, to be honest, Sig didn't do that at all. I mean, when it came to batting averaging ERA and other things like that. And you can do it in a way that bridges these two things. And I think baseball has got to get into a place, both as we talk about it and from a front office perspective, where it can kind of mesh this world uh, for a lot of reasons. I think that's important. And I think you can have this conversation without necessarily getting in, in depth to some of these numbers that are really hard to even remember uh, just because there's so many of them. And you can do it in a way that I think is really interesting and fascinating to have an, an understanding of uh, what a front office in baseball is talking about. We had Billy Ripken on our other podcast, Orioles Magic, and he wrote a book about some of the newer metrics and some of the older ones. And Bill makes a lot of really good points when he talks about how some of the different standard traditional kind of metrics still work. But there are also some really good ones as well that can better illustrate who is a good offensive player and who is a good pitcher. We didn't really go into the, the defensive side with SIG. But, you know, SIG mentioned OPS, you know, on base plus slugging. It's a pretty good predictor of success and how you're doing. And it's, it's, a, it's an easy one to measure. And if you look at OPS leaders, then you will generally have a sense as to who the best performers are if you have a good on base percentage you have a good slugging percentage given the type of game that we're playing right now that's generally indicating who's going to be doing really well and then he also mentioned uh fip which is fielding independent pitching or x fip which kind of shows that home runs are sort of a function of fly balls allowed and it also factors in the ballpark in which you're playing into so fip and era are, are pretty close sometimes a pitcher that has a, a higher fip or a lower FIP, it can be an indicator of a pitcher who might be getting a little bit of luck and a pitcher who might be getting a little bit of bad luck. It's basically expected ERA. So it, it tries to normalize some of the different factors that can get in the way of earn run average. But for the most part, you know, ERA and, and FIP tend to be the same. Every once in a while, you'll see a massive difference. But it, it's just a, a couple ways to maybe look at a player's success a little bit more closely and possibly a little more accurately, but there's definitely a place for both traditional stats and, and then some of the other ones as well. I, I try not to get too into the weeds with, with some of them and there are definitely a lot of them and it's easy to get lost. And, and as a broadcaster that looks through a lot of this stuff every day, and I look at traditional stats and I look at some other ones as well, it's very easy to get caught in the weeds. So that's why I asked, I figured, if you find one or two that can really point something out and Sig explain why they matter, and hopefully this is helping to clear some of it up a little bit, um, I think it can better help you understand, like, this guy's a really good pitcher. This guy's is a really good position player, and here's some reasons as to why. Yeah, and the other thing is that's kind of interesting is we talk about game strategy and how it involves there. Well, what's, in the essence, fandom about uh, cheering for your team and all of that, but conversations over, was that the right move? Was that the wrong move? I don't care if it's baseball, football, basketball. Should he have run there? Should he have passed there? Uh, should we blitz there? And in baseball, taking that pitcher out after X number of pitches, is that the right move? Should he bunt there? Should he not? And all this does is add another element of that dialogue, which I don't see how that's ever a bad thing. 
I mean, I texted you the other day. I didn't understand why Blake Snell dominating was taken out after 73 pitches in a seven inning ball game. And it really in that moment didn't work out for the Rays. I'm not criticizing Kevin Cash at all. But my point is, if you're a fan in Tampa Bay and these, you can go to every baseball scene and have the same conversation, that is fun to have that conversation. Is it not? That's it's a the lot essence of, of fandom. It's a lot of fun. That's why we come back every day. I think what's so cool about broadcasting baseball in normal years is that it's 162 games long. And there's an opportunity to learn something new every day. There's an opportunity to gain some knowledge that you didn't have before. I mean, that's one of the coolest things about getting to work with you and getting to work with Forty and getting to work with Ben and getting to work with our terrific group of analysts, as well as with KB and Mel and everybody else, is that we have a lot of really fun baseball conversations. And it's really cool to be able to learn a bunch of different things and explore some different concepts. Some of them are older. Some of them are newer. But I don't think baseball is a one-size-fits-all kind of sport. And you need to understand that certain things that might work in one spot don't work in another spot. Certain things that you might do with one pitcher. Like maybe, like you, you talked about Blake Snell coming out of the game. There are some pitchers where if you, you, you take a closer look at it, they can go a little longer and be effective. They have to be taken out a little sooner because they're not as effective when they get to a certain point. And it's, and it's understanding all these concepts as they relate to teams, individual players, and things like that, and exploring some of these fun concepts. That's the reason why, why, why I enjoy doing this. You know, we, can, we have an opportunity to learn something new every day, and that's why a, a normal 162-game baseball season, you feel like you get a lot smarter by the time it's over. Jeff, you make some great points. I'll just end on this. I think you would agree with this. I think, and I probably wouldn't share this except for on this uh, great podcast inside the yard, but this is, I think, what our listeners and audience want to know about our job and, and calling Orioles baseball. I think what stats we use, whether it's pregame, during game, postgame, on the air is the biggest challenge we yes. face in broadcasting right now, baseball. And it's a fine line. Now, listen, I'm not one, and I'm not criticizing anyone else, where I say um, – and we all have different styles. I think is great. Stats are really important. They've measured sports in, in, in baseball uh, for over a century. And it's a way to compare players and decades and eras and teams. And I use a lot of stats. I try not to stat people to death, as I say. But um, what's relevant and what does the audience and listeners and viewers need to know or should they know? And then not to beat over the head with somebody, but also in this world in baseball, probably different than any other sport, you don't want to alienate anybody one way or the other. There are a lot of fans who want to hear about the, these numbers, and there's a lot of fans that don't. And to me, every day we go on the air, that to me, I think is our biggest challenge. I think you are exactly right. And I had somebody tell me this, and I'll give this is my way that I do stats and, and my thoughts on them. I think they're extremely important. That being said, you can't go overboard with them. And I, I sort of feel like stats the way I feel about pizza. The more you eat, the less good it tastes. That's probably bad English. You know, the, the more you eat, the worse it tastes. So what I want to make sure to do is if I give you a, a stat on the air, it's because it matters. It's because it's important. It, it's, it's like, because if I give you 10 stats when I can give you two, the two, if I do that, will let you know, hey, this is something you probably want to know in regards to how he's been playing recently. This is something that you want to, to remember. 
Like yesterday, for instance, when we were doing this broadcast, we were talking about how many swings and misses John Means was getting. You know, that's not a, an incredibly, you know, radical concept or anything, but we were using it to indicate, just so you guys know, like what John Means is doing right now, and I think we said this on the air, this is kind of like Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson kind of stuff that we're seeing in this block of time. So just, I try and I'll also, like, if I'm going to give something, I'll say, that's really good. That's really bad. That's something you don't see all that often. I provide context that way. I, I don't, I don't need to like give you every single thing, but I might just say, Hey, there's this, and this is really good as opposed to this, which is not as good. Um, but I think, I think that's a battle. You're right. We fight it every day. And I think as we continue to go and as we continue to learn, we'll have a better idea as to what stats are really important and which ones are just a lot of noise. Yeah. I think in the end we have to know we're not going to please everyone. And that's just kind of part of the job, but Jeff, that was a really fun podcast. Thank you to Sig and thank you to Bordy. Uh, great stuff from them. And we have some big guests coming up on our final episodes of this season. So stay tuned for that. And Jeff, we're doing radio together to finish out this campaign. So six games together on the radio on this final road trip of the 2020 season for the Orioles as we wind things down. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Everyone enjoy the baseball. Thank you so much and be safe. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.